Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. It's December 15th, 2019, and that means there's only 10 days until Christmas. Today on the show, we finally get around to talking about Mr. White Christmas himself, Bing Crosby. Plus, I'll tell you the secret to adding a little Disney magic to your celebration this year. I'll count down the top five foods that didn't make the Christmas Bowl. And speaking of the Christmas Bowl, we've tabulated the votes, and so we're going to announce the winner and see what was voted the ultimate Christmas food. Let's start the show. Face front, you believers! It's me, Tim Babb, back with another episode of the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. And it's practically Christmas, baby! We made it! It's finally our time! Sing the carols, wrap the gifts, send the cards, trim the tree, wear the sweater. It's time for us to do all the stuff we've been waiting to do all year. And speaking of waiting, you have waited long enough. It's time to give you what you've been waiting for. Find me a segment about me? No, alleged ghost of Bing Crosby. It's time to announce the winner of the Christmas Bowl. The what now? You've literally been lurking around here all year. How do you not know what the Christmas Bowl is? I find it best to stay out of people's personal affairs. All year, we've been having two different Christmas dishes compete each month for your votes. Last month, we got it down to the top three Christmas foods, mashed potatoes, pumpkin pie, and hot cocoa. We tallied up your votes, and it seems the consensus was that pumpkin pie was great, but it was a Thanksgiving food, and mashed potatoes were also great. But that was an eat-anytime food. So, of the three choices, the food that most of you closely associated with Christmas was hot cocoa. Which is how it won with over 60% of the vote. So congratulations, hot cocoa. You are the winner of the Christmas Bowl. (laughs) But wait, we've got more. Like a segment about old Bing Crosby? No! Hot Cocoa is not the only winner we're announcing today. We also had a contest to give away a handmade vintage upcycled Disney wallet from Kristen Nowicki's Bortique store, as well as a 12 months of Christmas calendar from the Can't Wait for Christmas store. All you had to do was change your Facebook profile picture frame to one of our I Voted Christmas Bowl frames, and several of you did it. So thank you so much for doing it and spreading the word. Regretfully, though, there can be only one winner. And that winner is... Emily! Thank you, Emily. We'll be in contact with you shortly to make sure you get your prizes. And one more huge thank you so much to Kristen for donating one of her Bortique items to our Christmas prize package. If you're a fan of vintage Disney goodness, and why wouldn't you be, you should definitely check out her Bortique store. Link in the show notes of this episode. And now, we're going to change things up. With a segment about Bing Crosby. No! I'm just shifting the show order around a bit today. So normally we save the countdown list until later in the show, but since this list relates to what we were just talking about, we're doing it now. It's time for Five Golden Things. Five Golden Things. 
The Christmas Bowl might be over, but there were some foods that didn't get a chance to compete. Some classic Christmas foods that really deserve to make a showing in this contest. So I'd like to salute the top five foods that didn't make the Christmas Bowl. Number five. Tamales. This, I think, is on me for omitting this. Put this down to a cultural blind spot on my part, but this is a huge Christmas food for people of Mexican or Latin American heritage. Tamales used to be more of an anytime food, but they are so labor-intensive to make, they started being reserved for special occasions. And since Christmas is one of the specialist of occasions, they became a Christmas tradition for many families. So they probably should have had a spot in the Christmas Bowl. Number four. Apple Cider. We had eggnog and cocoa duke it out, but we left out the other big Christmas drink, apple cider. And this one's really versatile, because it includes a nice warm mug of apple cider with a cinnamon stick in it to warm you up on a cold Christmas day, or a cold, refreshing glass of sparkling apple cider at a Christmas party. Either way, apple cider is a Christmas favorite, for me especially. Number three, sugar cookies. Whenever I go to the grocery store, there are always boxes of those frosted sugar cookies at the front of the store themed to whatever holiday or event is happening soon. And right now, there's a bunch of Santas, snowmen, reindeer, and various red and green frosted sugar cookies in the store. Always delicious and somehow even tastier at Christmas time. Number two, gingerbread. Now, this one didn't make the Christmas Bowl because, frankly, I can't stand it. My family and I have been making gingerbread houses for years, but not to eat. In fact, this year, Oreo made an Oreo cookie house kit, and we totally made that instead, because we could totally eat it. But my bias aside, gingerbread is totally associated with Christmas. Gingerbread houses, gingerbread cookies, gingerbread men. Gingerbread is all over this holiday and probably should have been somewhere in the Christmas Bowl. Honorable mentions! Chocolate-covered strawberries. While this one might fall into the same trap as mashed potatoes because they're not really Christmas-specific, but it seems like a popular Christmas gift and a popular treat at Christmas parties. Then, of course, you got cinnamon rolls. This might be specific to my family, but we always have this for breakfast Christmas morning. A delicious way to start a great day. Number one, candy canes. With all the focus on Christmas dinner, we kind of ignored candy in the Christmas bowl. Specifically, the most iconic Christmas candy ever. This might have also been a bit more of my personal bias coming into play. I'm not a big fan of mint, so I don't really eat candy canes, but they are everywhere at Christmas. Not only as treats, but hung on the tree, in your hot cocoa, candy canes and Christmas go hand in hand. So that's the list. And that's the Christmas Bowl. I hope everybody had fun. I don't know if we'll do this again. We might. Definitely not next year, but maybe we'll do a second Christmas Bowl in the future so we can have these and some other foods get a crack at the title. But for now, congrats to Hot Coco and Emily, and thanks to everyone who voted. You helped us make this delicious holiday journey down the road to the Christmas Bowl. Road to the Christmas Bowl? That sounds like one of the titles to one of my pictures with Mr. Bob Hope. We're off on the road to the Christmas Bowl. We're gonna eat lots of- Ghost Bing! Would you knock it off, please? I'm trying to run a show here. You call this a show, huh? Oh, hush. Now, it may be out of order, but it's time for some instant Christmas gratification. Or, to put it another way, we need a little Christmas. Now. We need a So for the second time in a row, my Christmas Now tip involves the streaming service Disney+. Plus. So sorry if you're not currently subscribed and don't plan to be, but this was too good not to share. It's a Yule log, but not just any Yule log. 
I'm pretty sure most streaming services have a Yule Log. I know Netflix and Amazon Prime do, but this Yule Log is uniquely Disney. Instead of just a generic fireplace, this Yule Log is in the Arendelle Castle's fireplace. What's Arendelle? I'm surprised you don't know, imaginary listener. That sounds kind of like Kermit the Frog. Haven't you seen Frozen or Frozen 2, which is probably still in theaters at this moment? I don't really get to the movies much. Well, Arendelle is the kingdom where Anna and Elsa live, and you get to have their Yule Log in your home. Isn't that great? I suppose. Say, there's a guy back here who says he's the ghost of Bing Crosby, and he wants to know when you're going to talk about him. Tell him I'm in the middle of talking about the Yule Log from Frozen, so he needs to let it go, let it go. Okay, I'm out. You'll be sad you missed the rest of this segment. Well, anyway, you can have the Arendelle Castle Yule Log as your fireplace Yule Log this Christmas if you have Disney+. Plus. But I'm wondering, Disney, why stop here? You could have any castle. You could have Cinderella, you could have Snow White, you can have Beauty and the Beast, or you can even branch out. Why not have the Avengers Mansion Yule Log? Why not have some sort of Star Wars Yule Log? How hard could this be? Just make a bunch of them and toss them up on the streaming service. I'm giving you free ideas, Disney. You just take those and run with it. And while Disney's running with it, let's run on over to our feedback segment where we open up Santa Bab's mailbag. Santa Bab, he is gonna read some emails from you or tweets or Facebook messages to Santa Bab. He is opening up his mailbag tonight. So I got this message from Ron after I talked about the top five reasons Jim Henson deserves a spot in the Christmas Hall of Fame. Ron says, hello, you Yule fool, if I can call you that without hurting your feelings. Ron, that definitely did not hurt my feelings. I put the fool in you, fool. Anyway, he goes on to say, I wanted to let you know how much I love the November episode. I've been a big fan of nostalgia for years, so whenever I hear of a crossover of my two favorite podcasts, it's like eating a pumpkin pie while drinking hot chocolate. Speaking of those two, I voted and pumpkin pie will win, I hope. Ooh, sorry, Ron. Anywho, I'm a huge Jim Henson fan, and I am planning on voting for him in the Christmas Hall of Fame tomorrow. Speaking of Jim Henson, back in 1989 or 1990, the Muppets were filming a Christmas portion of the Very Merry Christmas Parade at Disneyland one night. My wife Donna and I saw them filming in the entryway inside the castle, and I stopped to watch. I was lucky enough to meet and talk with John Landis, who was directing the segment, and Frank Oz. I asked Frank if Jim was around, and he said no. Jim was back at the hotel resting. He said Jim wasn't feeling well. Sadly, Jim passed away soon thereafter, but it was fun to watch them and meet John and Frank. That is pretty cool, Ron. Not the part about Jim Henson passing away, but the fact that you met Frank Oz, he is definitely on the short list of people I would love to meet and thank them for all the joy they've brought into my life. So thanks for writing in. Uh, And speaking of the joy from the Muppets, last time I talked about the Henson special, The Christmas Toy, which had an intro and outro by Kermit the Frog. Uh, the actual one, not the imaginary listener that sounds kind of like him. Anyway, and since Disneyland bought the rights to Kermit, those parts have been cut out of the special. Well, Timothy, who has a great name, by the way, wrote me on Facebook to say, just want to let you know that the Amazon Prime version of Christmas Toy has the Kermit introduction. Sure enough, he's right. The full special is on Amazon Prime right now, so you can stream it for free if you have Amazon Prime. Now, Prime is known for pulling things down and putting them back up willy-nilly, so if you're not listening to this when it drops, I don't know if it's still going to be on there, but right now, if you're listening to this as it comes out, you can experience the full Christmas toy magic. So thanks, Timothy, for the heads up. I can't wait to show this to my boys. And now, a word from one of the other fine podcasts in the Christmas Podcast Network. Hello, this is Todd Killiam from the Christmas Collider Podcast. What makes Christmas special to you? Is it the movies or the music, the food or family, the gifts or decorations? 
maybe those quiet moments of reflection. Whatever it is, join me for Christmas Clatter, a monthly podcast dedicated to everything that makes Christmas special. Visit christmasclatter.com for all social media links and find Christmas Clatter Podcast on all podcast apps. Thank you, and remember, keep Christmas hope alive every day. Okay, for today's feature, we're finally going to talk about a true legend of Christmas, the one and only... Hey, Tim! Yes, imaginary listener, that sounds kind of like Kermit the Frog. I'm kind of in the middle of something here. I just thought you should know that there's a delivery guy at the front door who needs you to sign for a package. Probably the Christmas present you bought your wife. Oh, thanks. Uh, hang on, folks. I'll be right back. Okay, he's gone. Finally, now we can take over the show. That usually happens on the Christmas Eve Eve show. I've been trying for a year to get Tim to do a feature on old Bing Crosby. Well, today, I wait no more. Come on, frog guy. We're taking a stroll down memory lane. Or, to put it another way... What? Where did you get a band? We're off on the road to Bing Crosby. We're gonna find What's going on in here? Uh Uh-oh. There was no delivery guy because I haven't even bought my wife's present yet. You better go buy her something right now. Oh, maybe you're right. There's only 10 days left until... Wait a minute! I'm not going anywhere! What do you guys think you're doing? I can explain everything. It was all Ghost Bing's fault. Hey! Well, it was! Look, I'm just tired of waiting for you to do a segment about me, so I decided to make it happen myself. You do realize I was just about to launch into a segment about Bing Crosby when you interrupted me. What? Yes! I've been telling you all year I was going to do a segment on Bing Crosby. I thought you were just patronizing me. I said it in the intro to this show! I gotta be honest, baby, I don't really listen to this podcast. (sighs) Of course I'm doing a segment on Bing Crosby. Bing was a superstar, the likes of which we may never see again. He was a giant in the music industry and an amazingly prolific actor. It'd be like if you merged Michael Jackson and Samuel L. Jackson into the same person. Which you should totally picture, by the way, because it is hilarious. Whether you're picturing Samuel L. Jackson doing the moonwalk and those sparkly socks, or the king of pop popping caps in Pulp Fiction, that is a funny mental image. You're welcome. But even that combination doesn't fully encapsulate what a huge, influential star Bing Crosby was. Plus, he's a bona fide Christmas legend, so it's only appropriate that we take a look back at the life and career of the man who has brought so much Christmas joy to generations of people. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go Harry Crosby Jr. was born in Tacoma, Washington in 1903. Harry Crosby? I thought we were talking about Bing Crosby. Surely you didn't think he was born with the name Bing. I don't know what was happening back then. The 1900s is like ancient times. Who knows what they thought a good name was? No, when Harry was six years old, he was a big fan of the newspaper comic called The Bingville Bugle. One day a neighbor saw him laughing at the comic strip and started calling him Bingo from Bingville. And the name stuck, minus the O, and he became Bing. I had a comic origin story before it was cool. Crosby eventually went to college at Gonzaga University, which just so happens to be the alma mater of my lovely wife. While there, he sang and played drums on the side, but actually was studying to become a lawyer. We might have lost one of the great music voices of the ages to the legal profession had Bing not found out some important information from a lawyer he was working for. I was studying law part-time, and going to school part-time and playing the drums and singing part-time. And uh, I thought I, had, uh, I could be a lawyer because I'd been in a lot of elocution contests and, and uh, belonged to the debating society, and I thought I had a facility for saying things on my feet. And I uh, 
lull myself into the belief that I could be a great criminal lawyer and the, the drama of the courts and the, the appeal to me. But uh, I found out after I'd been working about six or eight months for this lawyer, and he was a very well-known lawyer in the town, and a good one, that I was making as much money playing the drums as he was uh, pursuing the, <laughs> the law. So I gave up the law and uh, enlarged my my uh, entertainment career. Boy, that voice doesn't really sound like your voice at all, does it? Drop it, baby. In the mid-1920s, Crosby formed a duo with his friend from school, Al Rinker, and the pair went to Los Angeles to make it in the music biz. It helped that Al's sister was Mildred Bailey, a jazz singer who'd already made a name for herself. She introduced the boys to band leader Paul Weiderman, who brought the boys on to his very successful band. In days of Bing and Al picked up another singer, Harry Barris, and became the Rhythm Boys trio. They toured with Witherman's Orchestra for a while and then toured on their own. There was a lot of partying during this time, especially by Bing. In fact, when the Rhythm Boys were hired for a Hollywood film called The King of Jazz, Bing had to miss out on some of it due to a drunk driving arrest. A fellow ran into me with his car and... Uh... <laughs> Quite an accident. I took the young lady into uh, the lobby of the uh, nearby hotel to see that she was administered to, and the police arrived, and they said, you appear to have uh, been drinking. I said, yes. They said, well, come along. They took me down to the station, locked me up. The next day, Whiteman got me out on bail because we were right in the middle of this picture. And uh, I had to go down about 11 days later for an appearance in front of the judge. So I went down all... I'd been playing golf. I had on golf knickers and loud socks and a loud sweater. Very, very gaily dressed and sure of myself that there'd be nothing to it. The judge says, it says here on the complaint you'd been drinking. I said, yes. He said, well, don't you know there's a prohibition law in the state, in the country? I said, yes, but nobody pays any attention to it. He said, well, well he says, you'll have 30 days to pay a lot of attention to it. <laughs> and there I was for 30 days, the last half of the sentence, so they, they let me go out to the set with a a policeman in company with me. As Bing started to get more and more solo attention, he started to take the Rhythm Boys less and less seriously. As he puts it in his book, Call Me Lucky... A actually, Ghost Bing, you want to read this for us? Sure, baby. Toward the end of our engagement at the Grove, we didn't take our responsibilities seriously enough to suit Abe Frank. Frank was running the Coconut Grove and the Ambassador Hotel, but the Grove was just his pet. He was an elderly, serious sort who disliked anything that disrupted the even tenor of the nightly routine at the Grove. When people were supposed to appear, he expected them to be on deck. So when I failed to get back for the Tuesday night show once too often, he docked my wages. Of course, Abe was in his rights, legalistically speaking, but I thought he was pretty small about it, so I quit. I was encouraged in this defiance by an offer from Max Sennett to make a series of movie shorts for him. I had made one for him already, and working in pictures looked like easy money to me. Thanks. You nailed it. Bing also had his first number one solo hit with Out of Nowhere. This was significant not only for earning Bing more popularity, but also for his revolutionary singing style at the time. You see, up till then, most artists would belt out their music like they did in a live performance. Old Man River! Yikes! Exactly. Bing decided to take a more intimate approach and get right up on the mic and sing in a style that would become known as crooning. You came to me from out of nowhere. You took my heart 
and you found it free. Now, apparently, Bing didn't care for the term crooning, but it captured the imagination of music lovers everywhere and inspired a million people to follow in his footsteps. Folks like Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Mel Torme, and Michael Buble all owe a huge debt to the trailblazing work of Bing Crosby. Soon, Bing was signed to a deal with Paramount Pictures, and that led to another iconic piece of the Bing legacy that has to do with his friend, Bob Hope. Then I went on the radio, and so did he, and I went out to Hollywood first, and then he came three or four years later, and then I used to work on his radio show, and he'd work on mine, and the writers for the radio show used to cook up these gags about how fat I was, or how hammy he was, or... You know, and it's needling one another. And from that, the people who are at Paramount thought, well, why don't we put these two guys together in a movie? And that's how it developed. The movie Paramount teamed them up on was Road to Singapore. And that began a series of road movies that teamed Hope and Crosby going on the road to places. They made nine of them in all. Not box office juggernauts, but very successful. We're off on the road to Morocco. This taxi is tough on the spine. Speaking of movies, Bing won an Academy Award for the 1944 film Going My Way, where he played Father O'Malley, a Catholic priest. A role he was initially going to turn down because he didn't think that a crooning minstrel who owned racehorses, you can't tell, but I'm doing quotesy fingers, should be portraying a priest. But the Pope actually wrote to him and convinced him to take the part. He reprised the role in The Bells of St. Mary's and was nominated for Academy Award again. He didn't win, but that made him one of the very few actors to be nominated more than once for playing the same character. But I think no movie impacted Bing as much as when he starred opposite Fred Astaire in the 1942 film Holiday Inn. Now, the movie as a whole didn't make a big splash on the world, but one particular song in that movie, written by Irving Berlin, really made all the difference in Bing's life. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know The song about longing for a traditional snowy Christmas was especially resonant in 1942, seeing as that particular Christmas season was mired with the attack on Pearl Harbor, and there were many American soldiers overseas who were indeed longing for a Christmas like the ones they used to know, and many more at home missing their loved ones. The song became a massive hit. It was number one in 1942, and then again in 45, and again in 46. It was even popular enough to spawn a whole separate movie called White Christmas in 1954. After World War II was over, Bing took a particular interest in an invention that was brought back from Germany, something called the tape recorder. You see, until then, all these radio shows were all done live. Bing had the idea to tape them ahead of time. While many joked it was so he could play more golf, it was actually, well, actually it was probably part that, but by taping the shows, it allowed him to edit them. And he could cut out the goof-em-ups and bad notes and give people the highest quality performance possible. Not long after Bing started doing it, it became the industry standard for people to tape their radio shows. As is Bing's custom at Christmas time, he opens the program with a Destiny Fidelis. And as usual, he'll sing it first in Latin and then in English with the studio audience joining him. Yes, Ken, I think it would be very fitting if our guests here would uh, join in a chorus of Come All Ye Faithful. Bing, I think it'd be very nice if the home folks listening in all over the world would join in, too. Oh, it would indeed. Gather around now, folks, wherever you may be, and help us sing this eternal hymn. Adeste Fidelis, Lady Triumphantes. One of the highlights of Bing's radio show was his annual Christmas show. I'll let the one and only Gene Kelly elaborate. 
Beginning on radio in 1935 and continuing on television from the early 60s on, Bing's Christmas shows became a yuletide tradition. Christmas just wouldn't be Christmas without Bing Crosby. Over the years, and particularly during the holiday season, Bing had the unique ability to make us feel we were all somehow members of the same family. So let's look upon tonight as a kind of family reunion. And what more fitting way to begin than with Bing's immediate family, his wife Catherine, his children Harry, Mary Frances, and Nathaniel, whom we all watched grow up on his Christmas shows. There they are. Great brood. This is uh, Nathaniel. I'm 12 years old. That's right. And this is uh, Mary Frances. I'm 7 years old. Hello. And you? This is Harry. I'm 8 years old. And this is Catherine. And I'm not talking. <laughs> the annual specials were required Christmas viewing every year with a slew of celebrity guests. Bing recorded his last holiday special in September of 1977. One of his special guests that year was David Bowie, which led to another classic Christmas song. I pray my wish will come true. It's for my child and your child too. I'll see my day of glory. I play my day for him when men of good will live in peace, live in peace again. Sadly, Bing passed away that year before the special aired, but he left behind an amazing Christmas legacy. As I was researching this segment, I wondered why Bing is not one of those artists people talk about outside of Christmas. I feel like you hear more about his contemporaries like Louis Armstrong, Frank Sinatra, and even Bob Hope. And after really digging into Bing's life, I was even more surprised. He's had an amazing impact on both the music and the television and film industries, yet most people from my generation and later just know him as that Christmas guy. But I think that's partially because of the phenomenal success of White Christmas and how he definitely leaned into that part of his legacy. As well he should. White Christmas was the biggest selling single of all time, beating anything released by the Beatles, Elvis, or Michael Jackson. So... While before I did my research for this, I couldn't name a single non-Christmas Bing Crosby song, I could definitely name a ton of Christmas ones he did. Melikaliki Maka, Christmas in Killarney, Silver Bells, Jingle Bells, All the Bells. I would have to say this dude shaped the sound of Christmas more than any one single person I can think of. In fact, the album art for the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast from day one has been a rip I'm, I'm sorry, an homage to one of Bing's Christmas album covers. So I guess we should wrap things up with a quote from Bing himself. Happy to oblige, old buddy. <laughs> no, Ghost Bing. I meant the real deal. Okay, I can dig a little blast from the past. Here's a holiday message from the one and only Bing Crosby. Really, I guess Christmas has a way of calling up the best in people time to review your blessings, to renew your faith, to share the warmth of the season with the new, the old friends, with family. It's a time of joy and closeness, a time to look back with gratitude at being able to come this far, and a time to look ahead with hope and optimism to a future day when there'll be peace on earth and goodwill towards all men. We wish you all the blessings of the season and a dream to place under your pillow to see you through the cold nights. Until next time. May your days be merry.
show i hope that lived up to your expectations ghost bing it was all right left quite a bit out though well don't worry i put some links in the show notes of the various interviews and documentaries i watched to help compile this episode i also included a link to that version of white christmas you just heard which actually was just released this year they've redone the background music and replaced it with the london symphony orchestra over bing's original vocals that's available this year and you can again find that in the show notes basically you can bin john bing But thank you for listening. We'll be back on Christmas Eve Eve with a bonus episode. But before that, I want to end with something new. At the end of each episode, you always hear me wrapping things up. But there's a special lady who should definitely be a bigger part of the show. I'm talking about my lovely mother. So from now on, my mom will wrap things up at the end of each show. So enjoy a break from my voice, and I'll see you on the 23rd. Until then, you'll believers, keep laughing all the way. And that was Christmas 1983. Actually, Dad, it's 2019. Oh. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes, and email us about it at christmas at tancast.com, we'll send you a free Can't Wait for Christmas sticker. If you'd like to see the show notes or leave a comment on this or any other episodes, you can go to our official website, can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. While you're there, you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store where you can grab customizable t-shirts, ornaments, stickers, and all sorts of other Christmas-themed items all year long. We'd love to connect with you on social media. On Facebook and Instagram, we are Can't Wait for Christmas Pod. And on Twitter, we are at Christmas Pod. We wish you a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band, and this amazing version of Jingle Bells on the accordion was performed by the wonderful and talented Christian Nowicki. All other music and sounds used in this episode are the properties of their individual copyright holders, and they are used for purposes of commentary and review. No infringement is intended. Okay, boys, did I forget anything? God bless us, everyone. Merry Christmas! Disney Plus. So, sorry if you're not currently subscribed and don't plan to me, but this was... What? Don't plan to me. Don't plan to be... Look, I'm just tired of waiting for you to do a segment about me, so I decided to make... Bing. Bing got tongue-tied, baby. Look, I'm just tired of waiting for you to do a segment about me, so I decided to make it happen myself. I decided to make it... Let's try that one more time. I get old Bing to say this line right. I was encouraged in this defiance by why am I Southern all of a sudden? Now, apparently, Bing didn't care for the term crooning, but it captured the imagination of music lovers everywhere and inspired a million people to follow in his footsteps. Folks like Frank Oz. <laughs> no! <laughs> I like the idea of Frank Oz the crooner. Mm, sing you a song, I will. Yes. <laughs>
The movie Paramount teamed them up in was 1904's. No, it could not have been 1904's. It must have been 1940s. No, it was 1934's. I think it's 1934's. I'm just not going to say the year. I typed the year wrong, and now I don't have time to look it up. Sorry, year. You're getting cut out of the show. After World War II was over, Bing took a particular interest in an invention that was brought back from Journey. Journey? It was brought back from Journey. Don't stop the outtakes. Keep saying all the words wrong. All right, so I'm going to have you say, God bless us. God bless us, everyone. Nope, just God bless us. (laughs) God bless us. And you say, everyone. Everyone, and I hope you have a great Christmas because we need to celebrate now. That that's great. However, I just need you to say everyone. Everyone too. No. no. <laughs> everyone. Just stop. Stop. Just everyone. Everyone. When you're bonking the microphone, buddy, you gotta just sit still. And but I need you to be quiet when he does it. Everyone. No, 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 no. <laughs> Say it in your normal voice. Say everyone. Everyone in the party. James, <laughs> stop adding stuff. I just need you to say those two words. Okay. Everyone. Okay, you ready? Everyone. Oh, it's for sure. 